Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to Thrive Deeper, your favourite Bible podcast. It is episode 132. I am your old mate and faithful host, DJ Payne. And on this instalment of the podcast, Dr. Matthew Jacoby and I start our trek together through the book of 1 Samuel. This is an exciting period of ancient Israel's history between judges and the kings straddles one man, and that man is Samuel. We're going to have a look at that over the next few episodes. Also, we have got a listener's special offer just for you, a best-selling book recommended by Matthew Jacoby. He wants you to read this book about prayer. If you're anything like me, I think we all need to get our prayer life shaken up a little bit, and I think this book will do just that. Well, let's get into the episode right now of Thrive Deeper on 1 Samuel. Matt, you've come in here with your, uh, it's it's like you've got a snow jacket on. Uh, you, is it you're, that puffy? It's, you're looking very, very warm. It is mm. blowing a yeah, gale it's, outside. It's cold outside. And uh, you've come in and you're, mm-hmm. and you're prepared to... Yeah. So we're going to get warm. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna warm ourselves <laughs> against the fire of the word. I, I, I was going to say, it looks like you're prepared to trek yeah. through some history in yeah, that jacket. I, I was just trying to get things on track. <laughs> I was, that was a segue. You could have used that. Well, well let, let's use it. Let's use it. Let's get straight into it. We're into the the book of First Samuel. Mm. Um, uh, First Samuel. We we are now introduced to, uh, dare I say it, um, uh, Israel's last two judges with mm. Eli and Samuel. Yeah. As we head into this yeah. book, um, it, when so what? So first impressions, like overall vibe of First Samuel for you. Before Goodness. I get into, before we get into the you know yeah. details of when it was written, all that good stuff. Is there a vibe of First Samuel for you when you think about this book? What comes to mind? This is very much preparing the way. Uh, in, in much the same way, because the, the first Samuel begins the same way that Luke does, or I should say, Luke begins his gospel the way that First Samuel does. Yeah. So, with the miraculous birth story of the prophet who anointed the king, <clears throat> that's how Luke begins. He yeah. begins with the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. Yes. So why? Why would he begin there? Uh, because in the way that Scripture works, word always precedes the event. You know, and the yes. prophet. Uh, in a sense, stands for the word. It's the people. It's it's the prophet who brings the people back to God, so that they can be ready uh, for the coming of His anointed one. Uh, that that sort of narrative patterning you see in the book of Samuel, and Luke picks up on that uh, in his gospel. And so you have the miraculous story of John the Baptist, who prepares the way, calls people to repentance, and prepares them for the coming of the anointed one. That's that's Samuel's job. See, that's why I ask you for a quick overview at the beginning right, before we okay. get because that's great. That really prepares us because it is this. This is so rich in patterns and you oh, know yeah, yeah. so rich in in you know the characters and the character types, the yeah. enemies and everything like yeah. that. This, this, this is what I love about the Bible. It's, <laughs> it's just these you know this patterning and the way that it, that that one part references another. It's yeah. just profound. It is. It is. So we've we've got first Samuel. You know, it's important to note that. Uh, originally, uh, the book of Samuel was one book, 
Over two scrolls. Yeah, that's right. Just didn't fit on the one scroll. Yeah, didn't, yeah. didn't fit in the one scroll. Um, and it's also, in looking at the background of this book, it's a really complicated book when it comes to the the, the scholarship of, uh, tr- you know, not just translations, but, you know, the copies that have been down through the history, mm. the Hebrew copies, the Greek copies and everything. This is one book where... They're like, this is really confusing because there's multiple different versions depending on different translations throughout the out the eon, eons, which yeah. is really fascinating. Yeah, it is. That's that's a whole other <laughs> that's a whole other world right there yeah. of complexity. It, most probably, the actual the, the book itself in its final form, yes, uh, is probably put together during the exile okay. uh, dur- during the Je- Jewish exile. All right. Because um, there's two, basically, there's two schools of thought. It's it's two schools of thought. Are it was it was done after Solomon in yep. you know in yeah, that yeah. in that divided kingdom period. Yeah. Some some authors and prophets were pulling together all yeah. the all the beat pieces, which would which could still be the case. They're not mutual exclusive ideas. Yeah. And then the other school of thought is the other scholarship school of thought. It was done in that you know Babylon Babylonic exile period yeah. where a lot of a lot of books were pulled together. And part part of the reason for uh, thinking that that's the way that it works is because of the way that Samuel and Kings tie together. Yes. Now, of course, we recognise divine providence in that as well. Yeah. Also, for the inclusion of certain stories that, as as we know, we have a parallel account of the life of David. Yes. In the books of Chronicles, which were we know were written after the exile, mm. and th- there are choices that. Um, that the writer of Samuel, uh, of the, uh, the books of Samuel makes, that clearly sort of odd inclusions, like, for example, the story of David and Bathsheba and the story of um, Absalom and, and yes. David's exile. And the chronicler isn't interested in that, no. but the writer of Samuel was. And probably <clears throat> because that kind of mirrors the experience in, in and in a sense even foreshadows the experience of Israel yeah. who who sin against God suffer exile you know there's these consequences and exile yes. and so forth and so um, there are a lot of things that happen to David that seem to preempt what's going to happen to his people yes. as a whole and it looks like the writer of these books is bringing that prophetic message definitely to the this group of exiles. Traditionally, um, at least for a lot of Jewish scholars, they would say that the prophets of Nathan and Gad, is it Gad? Yeah. Nathan and Gad who served in the time of yeah. David were responsible for, uh, you know, collecting a lot of the works that, yeah. you know, and chronicling this. And that's, that's actually footnote. well, not so much foot, what we would call footnotes. This is actually a really interesting aspect yeah. of both Samuel and Kings yes. is that there are references to the original sources. Yeah. I mean, it's the, <laughs> this, these are the things we probably tend to read over, you know, but it says, you know, the rest of the events of the reign of such and such uh, are written in the book of, you know, the, the records of Gad the seer, yeah. for example. Yeah. And so, they, they're actually citing their sources. Yeah. So, yes, there were other people involved and uh, involved in putting these things down at the time. Uh, and uh, but it may well be that we have an exilic author, mm. someone like an Ezekiel, yeah. maybe pulling it all together, pulling this together, yeah, 
yeah. for the sake of the exiles. Yeah, it's it's amazing stuff. So we so we you know it's named after the the man Samuel, um, who who is really the last judge of Israel as we've just coming out of the book of Judges. This period of about four hundred years, mm. where Israel, uh, you know, the, all, all the different tribes, the twelve tribes of Israel, uh, are exactly that. You know, tribes in different areas, mm. judges ruling over different people, and Samuel steps into into the you know the flow of history as the last judge and we'll get we'll get mm. into that his life span is you know roughly and again there's many different variations of this but about he was born around about you know 1100 years before Christ died somewhere about a thousand years before yeah. Christ and uh he, he he's really a, a, an amazing character because he does transition you know how God was dealing with people in the in the yeah. judges and then into this period of the kings. Yeah. Well, um, his life actually, his long life, within his lifetime, you have Samson. Yeah. So, Samson is actually uh, doing his stuff during the lifetime of Samuel. Yeah, there's an overlap there. Yeah, there's yeah. an overlap there. Yeah. <laughs> because remember, you know, Samson is in a particular area doing yes. particular things. Yeah. Um, and Samuel's yes, yeah, Samuel has and, has a, quite a general ministry during his lifetime. Yeah, yeah, a, a, quite a different area there. So the other, other uh, a couple of other notes as we head into this book, is, and as you're reading this book, is this, you know, the the first Samuel, first and second Samuel, the the work of Samuel here, it's not a chronological book. No, not it's necessarily. As, yeah, not that's ne- not the. Main point, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a theological history, yeah, yeah. and there are there are multiple parts of the book where it adds in a story or it mm-hmm. adds in, yep. you know, this happened, and it doesn't necessarily happen in, in between those stories. So I've seen you know quite a few examples yeah. as I was reading through it. I was like, well, hang on, how does that happen yeah. in that? Bit? Well, yeah. it's not chronological. Yeah. They're, 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 it's a fl- which is which is very like this sort of material because the main point is to make that. Prophetic message, bring yeah. out that prophetic message. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, I, I like this. I wrote down, this is how nerdy I've gotten. I've written down four um, themes that I saw throughout the, the, you know, the work, the book of Samuel here. Mm. Uh, number one, it's, it's really talking, you know, one of the grand themes is uh, the Davidic covenant, mm. you know, the anointed king yeah, yeah. foreshadowing Jesus, yeah. establishing all of that. And that's a major, major theme in this book. The other major theme is that God is in control. Yeah. Uh, you know, coming after God dealing with judges, you know, empowering mm. different people, you know, throughout this. I think this book goes to great lengths to say, God basically saying, look, I don't even need any of these judges. I'm yeah, in yeah, control yeah, here. That's right, yeah. I'll do it how I want yeah. to. And in light of that, we see really different in the, you know, quite a different way. In And for me, interpretive, interpretively, like a troubling way is this idea of the power of the Holy Spirit and mm. this idea of prophets and how, because they are mad confusing to yeah, me, yeah, you know, and yeah. how it all works. But we see this concept of the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, you know, empowering people in a really, really significant way. And then the other major theme, obviously, and you've already mentioned it, Matt, is sin and consequence. Mm. You know, you yeah. sin, there is this consequence. Yeah, that's and, right, yeah. and that's, we see that in personal lives. We see that in, in, in the people, mm. nations, the you know, it's yeah. in multiple, multiple yeah. levels, levels there. It's, uh, it's a book of comparisons in many ways. There are constant comparisons here. You yeah. know, you're comparing Samuel and Eli, yes. Samuel and Saul, yeah. uh, Saul and David, yeah. uh, Saul and Jonathan at one point. There's yes. a strong comparison between them. 
uh, it's another very interesting feature of the book. Yeah. Well, let's, that, that, that's a bit of an introduction. Yeah. I'm excited because this begins a journey into the kings. Yeah. Which is the next major period, yeah. you know, that's going to, we're going to be dealing with yeah. for like the next 500 years or so of history. You're not the next 500 years of the podcast. No. no. <laughs> I wish, yeah. but no, this is like a major, as we go through the Old Testament history here, this is, if we don't understand, I, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out here. If we don't understand this period of Kings and how mm. important King David is mm. to, we, I don't think a lot of other things make sense yeah, no, that's right. going yeah. forward yeah. and even into the New yeah. Testament. Yeah, that's right. All right. So let's start off. We got, uh, we're going to try to cover off the first uh, seven chapters in, in, uh, in, in this episode. So let's kick it off in, in episode, uh, episode, in chapter number one, where we're introduced to uh, Elkanah. And his family, yep. Elkanah, yeah, Elkanah and his family. So we've got this, we've got this Levite named Elkanah, and he's got two wives, Hannah and Penina, Penena, yeah, Penina, yeah, Penina. Penina. Yeah. <laughs> However, you want to introduce it there. Uh, tradition says that Hannah was the first wife, and because she was barren, yeah, you know, this this Levite, you know, was not getting any children out of out of her, and so years later he marries a second one for the yeah, children. Yeah. yeah. Now straight away. We've, we're like, hey, we've heard this story before. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and actually, the, the fact that it it zooms in to a story of individuals like this, where you yeah. have these same themes. I mean, we've you know we've just seen this in Samson. Yeah, Samson's parents. Okay, so this signals the fact that you know uh, barrenness um, uh, plus a story about a miraculous birth tends to um, uh, tends to prelude. Yes. Um, some kind of important prophetic moment, Definitely. some important figure. Yeah. Okay. There's basically <clears throat> yeah. alarm bells going off for us as readers right. going, hang on. That's God is about to bring yes. uh, victory out of defeat, life out of death. Yeah. This is, you know, this is a signal uh, of this. We see it in the New Testament with, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, Elizabeth and, and the birth of John the Baptist. We see it here. We see it in Samson. Uh, we see it in the patriarchs. Yep. Uh, so that's a signal of that. Now, the other thing about this, is that this is we're squarely in the time of the judges here, so where where uh, this is probably just a little bit before this particular narrative, even before the birth of Samson. Yep. Even though, as you said, yeah. chronologically, it's all uh, over the you place. know we've 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 already read the book, the the story of Samson. But um, again, this focuses on the importance of the faithfulness of a few people. Yeah. So so the faithfulness of a few people in a very dark time becomes the seed. For renewal, yeah. for the renewal of the whole nation, and Elkanah is uh, quite, um, sig- and particularly, and it's interesting here, and particularly the faithfulness of of women. Yeah. Uh, so we have we've had the story of Ruth. We've just come out of the story of Ruth, of course, yeah. uh, which is the you know uh, canonically in terms of the order of biblical books, it's the story before this. Yeah. So. There we saw how the faithfulness of a woman, uh, you know, God works through that to begin bringing about, redeeming a family line to bring about the line of David. Yep. Okay, so in this case, uh, we have the same sort of story. It's the story of a godly man who is going up to the, when probably no one else cares, <laughs> he's going up every year to to the, um, to the tabernacle. Uh, we see the faith, exemplary faith on behalf of Hannah. Who prays and cries out to the Lord sounds like a psalm. Yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, <clears throat> uh, she receives her miracle, dedicates her son, 
the, the child that's yeah. born, Samuel, as a as a Nazarite, which is a spe- very again same as um, as Samson. Uh, what's interesting in that uh, is that after uh, she makes the vow, yeah, without Elkanah there, yes, which according to the biblical law, you're supposed to have, a, you know, I mean, it's not that she's, you know, she's doing that in the context of, of her prayer. And so, it's not that that's invalidated, but she's doing that in the understanding that the biblical law made provision that if you do that, but then you go and talk to your husband and, and you can't agree, you know what I mean? Then, yeah. then he can, he can, can veto actually, it. Yeah, yeah, he can veto that. And, and, we, and, and it's we, interesting that he doesn't. Yeah, we get that later on where she tells him the plan and yeah. he's like, Okay, he, he agrees with and this is And that's risky, you know, because this is a son yes. that you would want to keep in the household. Big time. Uh, and uh, and so, by him going, allowing her to go through with that vow and, and giving Samuel uh, over to the tabernacle, to work in the tabernacle, um, this is a great act of faith. Yeah, it's it's an amazing. So, re- really quickly, we ha- we have the story of this this godly man El- El- Elkanah with his two wives. His favorite wife by far is Hannah. Yeah, you know he gives her m- more meal. He gives her more sacrifice <laughs> things yeah. and everything like that. She, as as we're familiar with the story, she she is so desperately sad that she doesn't have a child that she pro- you know she in in the temple she prays Eli. The, the the second last judge of Israel in this mm. place of Shiloh yep. uh, sees her, asks, "What are you doing?" Caught, thinks she's some sort of crazy, yeah. crazy person, and she she explains the situation. He sort of blesses her, and then lo and behold, uh, she is you know she's given this son. Now the yep. promise was that as soon as the boy would be ready he would be servicing God yeah. for the rest of his life. Yeah. She would bring him back to the temple and, and give him. Now, question number one, and this is really Bible nerd stuff. In Shiloh, we get a sense that the the tabernacle or where Eli is, is, yeah. is acting as priest, main priest, mm. with his two sons, is the tabernacle. Now, this is the same tabernacle that was, That's right. yeah, that was Moses. Yeah. But it sort of has a sense because we're reading about different rooms. We live, you know, there's a yeah. there's a there's a house. So there's some sort of like addition being added on. Yeah, or is there it seems to be. Yeah, there seems to have become permanent there. Yeah. yeah, aspects of it. There seem to be rooms here. Yeah, uh, it's it's been there now. I mean, it was uh, I think uh, 369 years. Uh, is the figure uh, wow. that 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 it was actually in this one place? It, it's actually in. We're going to read soon that Shiloh w- was actually destroyed, including this structure. Yeah, uh, and probably reset up in Ramah, uh, where Sam where Samuel, Samuel was. Sets okay, up, so yeah. so we're about to we're about to in these early chapters of First uh, Samuel about to read. Uh, of well, at least implicitly of the destruction of that when the Philistines defeated the Israelite army, yeah. but for a hundred, you know for a long time, the tabernacle had been there, probably had these rooms added. You can actually go there in in the, the site of Shiloh is still there. It's wow. been fully excavated. Wow! There are the priests' rooms with the with the mikveh with wow. baths wow. in it, just near where the tabernacle would have been. Uh, all of the stones you you can actually all over the ground is is pieces of pottery like sand on a seashore uh, little bits of pottery that that you just uh, are every everywhere and that's actually left over from when the Israelites used to meet there every year uh, and and they would break their pots and then 
go. And, and then go. Wow. Uh, and and all of that pottery, all of that broken pottery, is still there to this yeah. day. Wow. So you know, and you know, including the priest chambers and the, it's all it's amazing to go there, uh, the hill of Shiloh. So so Eli is a long line. We we find out somewhere in the Bible. Tell me if I'm wrong here, Matt. That he's he's from the line of Aaron. Yes, he's from yeah. the line. Of, so he's so he's in that Levite yeah. line from Aaron yeah. as as a ministering well, as he had to be yeah. as the high priest. Yeah. So he's and he's ministering there. He has two sons. We'll hear more about them in a, in a moment. And you know, along comes this you know this woman. She can't, and then then years later she comes back and says, yeah. you know, yeah. I, so so this part of this story, if if I can pick up on that, yeah. Uh, so obviously from Aaron, there are a number of branches to that tree, and and he's one branch, but. What's going to happen in the course of the books, two books of Samuel? One of the things that's being marked or noted here is that it's going to jump to a different branch because of the unfaithfulness yes. of Eli's sons. Yes. Uh, that this is going to jump to another branch, and it's going to actually jump to the branch of a, of a guy called Zadok. So we're going to have a Zadokite priesthood instead of that of the line of Is Zadok, Eli. now I could be totally wrong here, is Zadok got anything to do with the sons of Korah? Um, line. Sort of or not? Are uh, these Kohathites? They're Kohathites, the sons of Korah. Uh, I'd have to actually look at what the relation, okay. relation is. Because in the those. back of my mind, I've got Elkanah yeah. as, you know, I've read something about him being in that line, in yeah. that priestly line. But who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's an interesting one, actually. Yeah. yeah. Man, you are down some rabbit hole. Uh, you're, you're, every little rabbit hole, you're just like, I'm I, just peeking down this. That's good. Again, this, I is, like it. this, yeah, is, yeah. Uh, this is utter joy for me. Yeah. This is you know, why yeah. I do this podcast. But as I you. said, that's w- one of the things that's happening here. Is and, and that's part of the message is that because of the unfaithfulness of that line, yes. God is still going to be faithful. Yeah. He will still... His, God's purposes will be realized, but who gets to be included in that is dependent on faith. Yeah. And it's the faithlessness of... Uh, Eli's sons that are going to cut them off from this. Well, let's let's and, get let's yeah, get there. So see. so eventually, you know, and we don't know exactly. Most most people are saying probably around about the age of four or so. <clears throat> yeah. Finally, uh, Hannah comes with her with Samuel. Yeah. You know, young Samuel comes back to Eli and says, "Surprise, Eli! Here's a kid for yeah, you to yeah. look. Here's, here's another child for you to look after." Now, obviously, Eli is married man. You know, there's a family yeah, there. Yeah, he has yeah. other sons and people there, so he's going to be looked after in the temple there. Um, any uh, again, in, if we're going down rabbit rabbit trails, I'll, I'll throw this one out, out out to you and think: Have you got any thoughts about, or have you ever heard any messages of interest about the other wife? But we don't really hear from her again, do we? No, she's she's sort of the the, the thing that we know that she's got a bunch of kids. She makes fun yeah. of you know really teases yeah. you know you yeah. Well, know. she she you know and again this classic scripture she falls off she falls out of the picture yeah. because it's the people of faith uh, that you know that take precedence in terms of God's plan. I've, I found something. <laughs> You'll, you'll laugh yeah. at this. I found something in the. Uh, I always wonder where you're going with this. Yeah, I know, I know. I found something. <laughs> I look forward to it every week. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, going, going down and looking at the Jewish midrashes, which is basically commentaries, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, by all these, all these, yeah, yeah. Uh, all these rabbis <clears throat> on these on these parts here. One of them says one very prominent one says that this this she is a godly woman. Uh, um, Panina is a godly woman because in her, what she was doing was provoking Hannah, 
because she was a godly woman. Right. She didn't see Hannah as a godly enough woman. So provoking her made her pray, and we really should be thanking her for the birth of Samuel. Okay. That's stretching it. <laughs> Maybe. I, Maybe. I think, that, I think that is totally stretching it, but I just laugh at how yeah, yeah. deep these guys yeah, want to go yeah. with their explanations in it. Anyway, anyway, let's get back to the actual text here. So, it moves, so we move from uh, fairly quickly from Samuel yeah. uh, to, um, into Eli's sons. And, and this is the first of these comparisons. So, we're going to have a comparison between Samuel, who is really receptive and, and hears from God and Eli's sons who uh, are completely irresponsible. Yes. Uh, th- they have this um, they have this responsibility in the uh, of receiving the sacrifices. Yeah. They completely exploit that. They take the fat portions which are meant for God. Yeah. Uh, as their own. As their own. They have ser- they have servants working for them who are going in and explaining. Yeah. You know, where actually before you even get them get the meat to that. Yeah. We'll take it and yeah. we'll have the best. And they're exploiting the women, some of the women that come as yeah. well. I yeah. Mean, it's terrible. Terrible. Yeah. What's going on here? Well, I, I, in the New Living Translation, in in we're in chapter two, verse twelve. The explanation, the introduction to this is now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord. Yeah, and I think that yeah. sums about they, well. They, they actually, this sort of um, evokes the memory, of course, of two other yes famous sons yep. who were destroyed by the Lord, and that's of course Nadab and Abihu, the yep. sons of Aaron, who were said to have offered an unauthorized sacrifice to the Lord, and they were destroyed. And so, uh, these guys obviously are doing way worse than that. Yeah, and um, and so Samuel's first um, task in his prophetic role as a young man, mm. very young, really a boy, yeah. is to bring this. I mean, these guys, people are afraid of these guys. Yeah. Th- that's why they're able to, but people are afraid of them, yeah. right? Yeah. So, this- And Eli is, turn- and Eli is turning a blind yeah, eye he, ca- he can't control it. And yeah. yet Samuel is a boy, yeah. uh, you know, who, who is going to basically, um, you know, th- th- this is the first account here of a boy, in a sense, defeating a giant. Yes. Uh, here is this boy that brings this prophetic word against these sons and indeed this family line yeah. uh, that comes about and how almost fearful that would have been. And perhaps um, we can jump to that. Uh, jump to that story. Yeah. Uh, well, we have, we have, you know, we, we get the idea that, um, that Hannah is Samuel's mother and Elkanah, his his, yeah. his father, uh, come up every year, yeah. and you know they they have they're providing for him, they're yeah. providing clothing, and Samuel is serving serving in the presence of the Lord. Um, Eli is getting older and older, and he is being made aware, probably yeah. through Samuel mm. uh, as well, that the, the, the his sons mm. are wicked, yeah. and he he. He tries to confront them, obviously too little too late, with their sin. They will not listen. Um, And this is a really interesting point. I've heard heard a few different messages around this. In chapter 2, verse 25, But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? It's that old, you know, Pharaoh's heart and heart. Who's doing it? Is it the sons who have turned wicked or has God given them over to their judgment already and they're not going to, you know? Well, I mean, the the answer is both those things. They harden their hearts and it's the principle that Jesus talks about when he says, you know, to those... uh, 
to those who have, more will be given, but those who do not have, even what they have will be taken away from yeah. them. So, the idea is if you, if you are willing to listen to God, your heart will be open more and you'll hear more. But if you're not willing, you'll even be shut out from yeah. the bit that you might have otherwise heard. So, uh, the, the idea here is that there is hardness of heart in these guys and God compounds that. Yes. Uh, in order to bring judgment Ooh, uh, upon them, scary stuff. So now we get this, we get this unnamed uh, prophet, yeah. this unnamed seer. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some commentaries say that this could be Nathan. You know, the prophet Possibly, Nathan, yeah, young yeah, prophet Nathan yeah, coming to the scene, yeah. talking to Eli and saying, you know, on, on, on behalf of God, giving an amazing prophecy mm. about what's going to happen to Eli's family and how they're basically forf- forfeited yeah, here. And that'd be a young... Could Nathan have lived that long? I, I look, I'm just that's saying. A very I'm, young Nathan, uh, right there. Yeah, I'm just saying that yeah, this I'm is. I'm not sure. If, yeah, but anyway, that's we, we don't know. We yeah, don't know. No, that's an interesting theory, though. I like, I like it. No, I actually haven't heard that one. So, yet again, yeah. yet again, you're full of surprises today. That's good. Uh, oh, dear. Um, yeah, so he. So, so we have this prophet that brings this oracle against, uh, against this family um, and declares that um, because they have. Uh, th- and this is imp- this is actually the moment where this where the cutting off of that branch of the tree is signalled. Yeah, of, and this is you know this is important uh, because this this is a, you know the priestly line is actually a really important, important line, yeah. and even though you are entitled to be priests, yet if you don't uh, if you don't um, fulfil my covenant, I'm going to cut off I'm going to cut off the branch. Yeah. Uh, and and when we're going to go to another branch now, that actually is kind of relevant to where we're going to go with because uh, another because of course the Davidic dynasty is going to be uh, set up and there's going to be similar warning uh, yes. to the Davidic uh, dynasty. Although uh, by hook or by crook, as they say, uh, God is going to God promises to bring about a king from that fa- family line, even if it's going to be cut down. To, to a stump. Yeah. And as we know from Isaiah chapter 11, from it, the stump of Jesse, you know, uh, the Messiah out. will come. But anyway, the point is, is that uh, in this case, because of lack of faith, cut, snip, off goes the branch. Yeah. And we go to another branch. So, all of the authority uh, transfers to, is going to eventually, as we'll read further on, um, is going to transfer to another priestly line. Yeah. So, we get, so at the end of chapter two there, um, um yeah, we get exactly that. The, the, this prophet doing us that. Yep. We we jump. Let's jump into the next chapter here, chapter three. Yeah. Uh, really quick here, where we get, and this is you know pivotal story for a lot of people raised in church, mm. especially for Sunday school. Uh, I think, th- as far as I can remember, my earliest memory of Sunday school is the story of of Samuel as a young boy and the Lord speaking to Samuel. That's my first memory of Sunday school. Yeah. And I must have been about five, or, or you know, five or six. Yeah. And you, well, you've got to ask. In cases like this, why all the detail? Yeah. Why the Lord calls to him, uh, you know, and he runs to Eli and he says, here I am, because he thinks Eli's talking to him. Yeah. Now, the fact that he says it like that uh, and, and that the, the narrator goes, you know, to sort of phrase and give us this much detail, it's partly because it echoes what Abraham, what Moses said when God called them, here I am, Lord. Yeah. So, we have here uh, Samuel being cast in much the same light as Abraham and Moses when yes. God first called them. Yes. Called them. So, anyway, Eli says, I didn't say anything. Yeah. Goes back to bed. 
happens three times. It happens three times. Uh, finally, then, Eli, who is mm-hmm. the priest of God, who yeah. should be realizing yeah. what's happening. Yeah, that's right. Finally, get he finally gets it and goes, "Oh, okay. Next time it happens, yeah, you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening.' Yeah, and that's exactly what's happening. And, and, and so, and the the repetition of the name, it's because it says in in uh, where are we, chapter three, verse ten. Yeah, um, the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, but this time the different. Samuel uses his personal name. And that, again, echoes, um, for example, God's call to Abraham on Mount Moriah. When, remember when he was sacrificing his son? Abraham, Abraham. Yeah. In that, that very uh, key moment. So, yeah. again, this is told in a way as to evoke the memories of these other key moments uh, in, in the history of God's people. And so, we, we don't know exactly, but Samuel was probably, um, you know, probably pre-teen here, could be 11 or 12 at this point. Yeah. And then we get at the end of end of the, end of the chapter there, Samuel reveals everything to Eli. Eli says, don't hold yeah. anything back. And he I'm, says he's afraid to tell him because yeah. the, the oracle is against the family. Exactly. I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm 11 years old and yeah. I've got to deliver an oracle against, against this branch yeah. I, you know i've got to declare that this branch is getting cut off yeah that is a weighty thing and eli for a kid and eli realizes this is the truth this he doesn't truth. he, yeah, he doesn't right. fight yeah. he recognizes god's hands on samuel and then and then we get a period of time we don't know exactly how long you know it could be a decade or so where samuel grows and he is proven uh you know reliable as far as a mm. priest and a prophet to the point where all of the region recognizes yeah. him as the one who god is appearing to yeah. in in the tabernacle in in shiloh there and that's where we end up at the end yeah. of chapter three so, so whatever else is happening whatever else uh, you know, good old Samson is doing. I mean, I don't think anyone is pinning a lot of hope on Samson at this time. I mean, I'm just thinking historically <laughs> yeah. if this is happening at the same time. Yeah. He's just a maverick that's out there beating up people with the jawbone, yeah. jawbone of, a, of an ox. <laughs> Some mad guy, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, in one particular area. Yeah. This, this is actually, you know, Samuel as the final judge here is the first one also that's exercising this ministry throughout the whole nation and yes. this is important because he's he's calling the whole nation back to God in preparedness for uh, to be united under the king definitely all right that's a good place to take a break here Matt between chapters three and four here of first Samuel let's take a break and we'll be back with more of Samuel here on thrive deeper. Hey there, family. It's your old mate, DJ Payne here. And thank you so much for downloading and listening to Thrive Deeper. Now, I've heard on the grapevine that there might... Oh, there. Oh. Let's go. Oh, that can only be one thing. That is the listener's special offer Klaxon horn here. That means that there is a brand new listeners special offer just for you. Now, what we've done 
is we've gone and done something a little bit different. We've asked Matt Jacoby to recommend a book that he would love you to read. Is there a book out today that is really great? And Matthew's come back and told us about Paul E. Miller's A Praying Life. The byline is connecting with God in a distracting world. Well, If anyone is distracted, it's me in this world that we live in, and I think I need a shake-up and a wake-up in my prayer life. Tim Keller recommends the book. He says this is a fantastic book on prayer. It's biblical, it's practical, it's readable, and it will help you generate a culture of prayer in you and those around you. That is great words here. I am about to start reading this book. I'm so excited to get into it. And I sat down and asked Matt why we should be looking at this book. Tell us about the book, Matt. I've recommended this book as a, there are a number of different books on prayer and a number of really good ones. Uh, this is one of those. Um, this is a book uh, that I know a number of uh, people that I know have r- recommended to. And so if you're looking for a book that will help to uh, enrich your prayer life, h- how do I go about this? This is a great sort of first step if you want to uh, deepen your journey into prayer. So, uh, A Praying Life by Paulie Miller. Well, that's our very own Matthew Jacoby on why he says A Praying Life by Paul E. Miller is a book that he wants you to read. Now, to get a hold of this great exclusive offer, head over to thrivetoday.tv, thrivetoday.tv, our home on the web. At the top of the page, you will see listeners special offer, listeners special offer. If you click on that, That will take you over to our five store where you can see a praying life. Now, I need to let you know, if you're listening from outside of Australia, we're so sorry. This is an Australian-only offer. If you're in Australia, this is an offer for you outside of Australia. I'm sorry. Hopefully, we'll have something for you next time. But if you want to grab this copy of A Praying Life recommended by Matthew Jacoby, usually $23 for the book is only $18 for you. You head over to the website, click on that listener special offer, add in your details, and for $18, this book will be all yours. It's an exclusive offer that we can only do for Australians pretty much for the next month. Pretty much for the next month. We've only got a limited stock of these. So get a hold, get in quick and get these books out to you as soon as possible. You can even select a few and give them away as a gift. All right, listeners special offer right now over at thrivetoday.tv. Let's get back into Samuel here on Thrive Deep. We are back looking at the life of Samuel here in 1 Samuel. You're on Thrive Deeper, episode 132. DJ and Matt here with you. And uh, Matt, we've just finished off with young, uh, this mm. young priest prophet, Samuel, this man of God. Uh, you know, we're leaving him in Shiloh, uh, letting letting Samuel sort of do, he, do his work there. And all of the people of Israel are listening to them. And it's one of these classic moments in chapter four. It's like, meanwhile, yeah, the it, Philistines. We- that's right. We get quite a lengthy meanwhile, don't we? Yeah. Um, there's going to be a debacle here with the Philistines. Um, and uh, these two guys, Hophni and Phineas, are leading the charge in some sense. 
And this is partly where that where this is where we get one of these comparisons because after this, Samuel is going to lead the charge against the Philistines. He's going to defeat the Philistines. Yeah. But first, we get this dreadful, dreadful defeat uh, where the you know they, they're going out against the Philistines. They think. Come on, let's grab the Ark of the Covenant, our good luck charm. Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? Awful. They, you know, it, they're basically treating God like the nations treated their gods. Well, we've already carry it into yeah. battle. Well, we've already seen them displaying that in their lifestyle. Yeah. They're adopting the culture around them because the culture around them in these other gods, you know, practices of these other priests of these other gods in the Philistines and everything like that. There were temple prostitutes. There were, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, bribes happening. There was all yeah. these different things. And and Eli's sons are doing exactly that in, yeah. in the name in the yeah, name that's of, right. of, of the Israelites. The God. second time, of course, because the, they go in one. They're yes. defeated. They yeah. think, okay, we need something. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, I know. Oh, yeah. We, we've we'll got go that gold thing. Yeah, we've, we've got, got that, that gold yeah. <laughs> It's a terrible situation. So, yeah. God, uh, apparently, God sits in between. The presence of God is there. Yeah, so, let's take about him in. That. Yeah, so, we'll, we'll, we'll take that in. Anyway, they're defeated again. Uh, and the, the, the defeat is amazing because at first, it's really good writing. It's really good writing yeah. because as they bring it out, like, you know, the, okay, imagine they, they're carrying, the four guys are carrying it out there. All of Israel sees it and they, oh, whoa, yeah. Yeah. and they all chat. It's so loud. This is what this yeah. is great filmmaking or storytelling yeah. here. Zoom over to the Philistine army. They're like, oh my, we're What's done. Going on? We're yeah. done. This is this is some god has shown up. Yeah. This is and they they, they immediately start talking about, you know, Moses and you yeah. know, they know the stories of these people. Yeah. And then we get this amazing turn of of the story where the Philistines are like, okay, guys, don't don't give up hope now. We we're going to defeat yeah. them if we can all fight together. And they do. And they do. That's and they right. do. The yeah. Philist- and not only do they do, they take the ark. That's right. They take the ark. Well, no, and not only that, they take the ark. And in the midst of all of that, they kill, as the prophets had yeah. foretold years and years before, they kill Eli's two sons. That's right. And that's where we have this story. The messenger come back and Eli's sitting there and he's quite a fat man. He's sitting there and he's, uh, you know, at, at the city gates and, and they tell him, uh, you know, your your sons have both been killed in battle and- He's kind of upset by that. And then they tell him that the Ark of the Covenant has been taken. He's <laughs> devastated by that. Fall, he obviously falls. didn't think that much of his sons. And he falls over yeah. uh, as a result and uh, and he dies. And yeah. and that's that's Eli's. Lands on his neck, yeah. breaks his neck. Yeah. And, and that was that's it. Eli's he was old, old and overweight. Yeah. Um, the wife of uh, Phineas, <laughs> the daughter-in-law, uh, is about to give birth at the same time. Yeah. So talk about a dramatic. Yeah. This is like a Godfather movie or something. Yeah. Zoom to the thing, and as she gives birth to the to to this child, um, she names him Ichabod. Yeah. Now the glory of the Lord has departed. What yeah. that? Yeah, it's you know, terrible. It's well, it's a tragic moment. It's a it's a moment of darkness into which Samuel, and there's the point because we, yes. we Samuel's kind of out of the picture here. Yeah, but this is the prelude to Samuel actually bringing about a spiritual revival. Yeah. So, so the glory of the Lord has departed right yeah. here. Uh, because, and in a, in a sense, it, that was already signaled by the fact that, you know, when the, when the totally. Ark of the Covenant is totally. being treated as a good luck charm yeah. and, and all of this corruption is happening in the temple, you don't get much worse than that. And, yeah. uh, and so, yes, the glory of the Lord has departed, but uh, Samuel is about to lead 
a revival that is going to be the prelude to defeating the Philistines. Yeah. So and it's a great it's, loud it, message here. It's great storytelling because we needed to get really dark. Oh, yeah. We needed yeah, to get really yeah, that's dark. Really dark. And, and, but meantime. Yeah. <laughs> meantime, just, just you know, lest, lest we as the readers think that. God has been defeated. Yeah. So, yes, the Israelites have been defeated because yeah. they're, they've turned away from God. But let's be really clear here. Yeah. The writer wants us to see this. God hasn't been defeated. No. So, when the Ark of the Covenant is taken into the Temple of Dagon, and this is, um, this is a classic gesture in the ancient world, we've captured, we have defeated, this is our ancient battles yep. were understood, as battles between deities. Yeah. When we go into this battle, we represent yeah. our deity, they represent their deity, and the greatest deity wins, right? Yeah. So, uh, so once they'd captured the Ark of the Covenant, their deity is, you know, the God of Israel is defeated. Yeah. And, uh, our, our and God. to symbolize that, yeah, to symbolize that, yeah. they take the Ark of the Covenant and put it there at the feet of Dagon yeah. in a sort of a in symbolic their act in their, in their temple. temple. Yeah. And, of course, they go back in the, in the morning and the... You know, the statue of Dagon has fallen over uh, on his face before the ark. Yes. You know, uh, this is repeated, you know. Dagon on his face. Yeah, and with- eventually, the, the, the eventually it happens. You know, enough times where the, their statue of Dagon, this the, the god that they worship, is breaking. Yeah, and only the only the uh, you know the torso is left. Yeah, so the head, so, so the head and the hands are yeah. you know are, t- are taken off, and um, which was a uh, in again in the ancient world in battle to you know, often, I know it's gruesome, but yes. to demonstrate. Um, sort of vengeance or, or dominance over a king, they would, you know, cut off his hands and his head. Yeah. Uh, bit gruesome, gruesome yeah. detail there. Sorry, kids, if it's, you're listening. But but basically, this is this, this is what they did back then. You know, and and this is this you know to find Dagon lying on the ground with his head and his hands yeah. uh, broken off. Yeah, uh, they're really, and not only that, but then a plague breaks out. Uh, yeah. Upon the Philistines it has something to do with rats bringing a plague into, yep. into the tumors and boils. And they also- they get the picture. They understand what oh. this means loud and clear. And this is and this is one of those moments where you sort of go, gee, the Philistines, even though they're yeah. the, these. And again, just to paint the picture, if you're looking at a map here, the Philistines are these people of the sea. They live on the yeah. coastline. So you know they're surrounding on the you know on the west side of Israel and you know yep. everywhere where the yep. people so are southwest yeah all of all along the coastline there you have these Philistines and there's arguments about where they came from but they probably came from the islands in the Mediter- mm. Mediterranean coming over here and they had greater technology than the Israelites mm. did they were yeah. really good we know this from digging up everything uh, they were really good uh, blacksmiths and mm-hmm. they had better iron uh, you know you know technology so these guys are better at technology yeah, yeah, yeah. with their god Dagon taking yeah. on the thing and when they realize they they understand who this God is yep. and what's going on. And so we have this amazing picture. This is what the Bible does so well, paints Israel of not understanding yep. what what their relationship yep. with God is and what the ark is. Yep. But you have the Philistines going, oh, we understand. Yeah. We, we need right. to get it out of here quick. Yeah, get that's it back. Right. So the Philistines fear God in a sense. Yes. The Philistines ask the question, what can we do yep. to make atonement for, yep. our, for our wrongdoing here? Yep. Uh, in, in some sense – 
you know, I mean, in some very weak sense, but significant for the story, yeah. certainly repenting more than the Israelites yes. are at this stage. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, the, so, that's the point of this. And so the curse lifts off them. Yeah. Uh, they, they, it's so funny. They're scrambling. Like, they're all dying. And they're well, all like- They send it amongst their- yeah, Yes. <laughs> they're sending it- It's here, like a hot s- potato. Yeah. You send it over there to that suburb and the people in that suburb, look, okay, you, get it out. And then they're sending yeah. it back and forth to each other. And finally, they all get together, the rulers of that area, and they go, we need to work out what's, what's going on here. And they come up with this crazy idea of yeah. penance, creating, you know, rats and tumors in, the, in gold and- Sending yeah. it back with these with these uh, young cattle that have never been you know yeah. used you know it's just really which, weird which is all problematic. I mean, in in this sense, yes, there's a there's a kind of repentance here, but you know, I mean, they they get diviners out to to work out how to do this uh, gold. You know, they make these gold things. I mean, that's a bit suspect, even of rats. Yeah, uh, they put the ark on a cart. That's not meant to happen. No. Uh, and yet, you know, uh, when they let, they, they separate a, a cow from its calf yes. and they hold the calf and they think, well, if this, if this really was more than a chance event, uh, the- look, if it was just a chance event, the cow will come straight back to its calf. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but if, if not, the, you know, the cow will go to where the ark belongs and, of course, uh, takes it right into Israelite territory. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. yeah exactly. It's it's a crazy crazy which story which doesn't end up so well for them. Well, well, well again, just to say goodbye to the Philistines. Yeah. Like and again, we get this picture of the Philistines sitting there, and finally, when it's gone, I love I love the fact that there's they they understand history. You know, they they understand the last you know five hundred years or so of history because they say, remember what happened to the pharaohs. Yeah. They they yeah. couldn't wait to get yeah, rid so of that these stories. Or- that story's well established. Yeah. And they yeah. understand that this ark that they have is is tied up with this Israelite god yeah. who nearly wiped out Egypt, yeah. and they're and like, "This is what's happening to us. We yeah. can't, we can't have this here." So finally, the the cows have got the ark on the on the thing, and off they go, and they do wander away back towards Israel, mm. back towards uh, you know where, where where the people are. Yeah, so and- it goes comes into Beth Shemesh, and the people see it, and and you know there's a lot of great celebration yeah. because this this was devastating for uh, for the Israelites. Uh, but the you know the ark comes back, and um, uh, but then it says, but God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting seventy uh, of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Yeah. So, uh, in the same way as a curse came upon the Philistines, the Israelites actually aren't doing much better, and so there is this curse uh, that causes a number of them to die, yeah. and then they start playing hot potatoes with yeah. it. So they sent it to the home of of, of someone in Kiriath Jerim. Yes. And there it stays. And basically it's gonna stay that the Ark of the Covenant stays there yeah. until David brings it up yeah. into the ta- into the tabernacle. Wow. In Jerusalem. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And that's so, like second Samuel uh second Samuel chapter six. Yeah, decades so, and decades yeah, so later. Yes. Yep. Long long time later. Yeah. It's it's um one final thing about the Philistines here as we say goodbye to them in this particular sto- story. I love the fact that we get we it says that the five Philistine rulers watched like they're basically yeah. you get this They followed it to make sure that it was yeah. getting out of their hair. 
you get this picture of like them hiding behind trees or something. Make sure, and when they finally see that the the Israelites have finally, you know, they break apart the car, they they kill the cows, they sacrifice them. They're like, okay, phew, it's not coming back to us, and we we're off. They they're off the hook. And- There's a really a, a really interesting question uh, that the people ask there in six verse twenty, and the yeah. people of Beth Shemesh. This is when when they uh, handled the ark and and all of those people, seventy uh, men died. Uh, and the people of Beth Shemesh, Beth Shemesh asked, "Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom, you know, to whom will the ark go from here?" That question, "Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God?" That's a very good question. That actually is the key question. And they had lost touch with God's way of redemption during this time. You know. Yeah. Uh, that's the key question that comes out of the end of Exodus when the glory of the Lord fills the temple and Moses and Aaron could not enter. Yes. And then that's the last the last verses of the book of Exodus and then yeah. you go into Leviticus. Yeah. And Leviticus uh, expounds all of the, the sacrifices and, the, and then they enter into the presence of the Lord. And so that... That question has been answered, but they've lost touch with that. And it's even been answered in First Samuel because we get a picture of of young Samuel yeah. saying, living in the presence of the Lord, saying that he ministers and serving yeah. in the presence mm-hmm. of the Lord. So part of us goes, "Oh, we know someone." Yeah, that's we, exactly. We, we yeah. know there's this young guy. You know, there's part yeah. of that. There. And in fact, from here it flips over. We we actually go back to Samuel. Yeah. So it's a good point. The question, yeah. who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this well, holy God? Well, Samuel does. Samuel, Samuel and does. And so, then we, go, then we go to Samuel and um, it says in, uh, in 7 verse 2, it talks about the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim uh, a long time, 20 years in all. There we go. Okay, until David uh, brings it up uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, and then it says, then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Yeah. Now, this is, this is picking up on where we left off with Samuel. Remember, Samuel's going around yes. and doing his ministry. And so, this is picking that story back up. Okay, yeah. So, because of that, people are turning uh, back to the Lord. Uh, and, um, and this is where you get this sermon of Samuel. Uh, you know, he says, get rid of all your foreign gods. He's calling them back. And, um, and we, get, we get a moment here in a place called Mizpah. And the, the the writer the writer makes note that it's at Mizpah that this great repentance takes place, yeah. and it's at Mizpah where Samuel finally becomes Israel's last judge. Yeah, you know, and he and he is ministering to the people, turning them back. They are bringing coming back to to the mm. Lord. They're repenting. They're making things right. They're getting rid of their idolatry yeah. from out of their people, and there's you know there's a bit of action happening here. So much so that the Philistine rulers are going, hang on. What's we don't like the looks of this. Yep. We're happy with these guys all being scattered and yep. sort of you know blending in. Yeah, that's in. right. Yeah, we don't want them to stand yeah. apart here. As soon as they that I mean is, isn't isn't there a sort of symbolism in that? Like as soon as they're you know getting together and worship in this revival, uh, the enemy's like whoa, 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 whoa what's going on yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. We we don't want this. Uh, we don't want this stuff. And so the Philistines uh, come up against them. And of course, the result of this spiritual revival and them turning back to God is that the very people that up to this point they have been unable yeah. to defeat. Yes. With good reason, I may say, mm. because of what you said about the technological, technologically advanced nature of uh, Philistine culture. Uh, and yet, uh, under Samuel, they are resoundingly defeated. Yeah. Resoundingly. The Lord throws them into confusion. It's, uh, it's a, 
that the Israelites it's defeated. Resounding, yeah. Yep. Yeah. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to yep. Bethkar, slaughtering them all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the the towns and called the place Ebenezer, the stone of help. Yeah. Um, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. And the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. So yeah, he, we finally get a judge, this last judge, who is not just, you know, yeah. one time used by God yeah. and has access to this Holy Spirit power yeah. like we yeah. see. We have this judge who is an actual godly, holy man yeah. and understands the relationship that yeah. Israel needs to have with and, God. And and the first thing he does isn't to just go out against the enemy. The first thing he does is he brings the people back to God. Yes. And as a result of that, uh, they are able to defeat their enemies. And, of course, this is the... You know, this, this, in a sense, rounds off the story up to this point, in a sense, doesn't it? Because, yeah. uh, you know, we, you know, Samuel is, um, is kind of picking up in, in the sort of spirit of Joshua. You know, yeah. um, it, it was because of the faithfulness of Joshua that he was able to defeat the enemies. And so we, we see, we see that being brought to bear again. And so it's like you have this, uh, we're we're back to that. Yeah. We've had a big slump in between. Yeah. Uh, God has been working in that. We've yep. seen faithful people uh, paving the way, uh, but we're here now, where the people are, um, in at least in 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 some measure, united back uh, yeah. around. Uh, at you know by Samuel's word. Uh, and and are united uh, under God again. And this is and this is Samuel's role. This is Samuel's mm. key role as this last judge. He we see that he he basically has like a a circuit. Yeah, you know, throughout the people where he will go and actually acts like a like a, a Moses judge, like yeah. one of the elder judges, sits down and judges yeah. the people of their problems, lets them know what God says and rules and different you know different examples, and he sets up an altar in his parents' hometown yeah. where he was from. So, yeah. Shiloh has been wiped out, as you've said, like the tabernacle is yeah. gone. Shiloh is wiped out. Even the Ark of the Covenant has been moved into this other town. Yeah. And Samuel sets up a place in Ramah uh, where we would hear cases as well. He sets up an altar to the Lord at Ramah. He's listening to to the people mm. there. And, uh, you know, we, we have this sort of time of peace Against again, just to foreshadow a little bit, we talked about some of the characters that we'll be meeting in this book of First Samuel. The two, the two nasties that we have, mm. the reoccurring bad guys throughout, is obviously the Philistines and the Ammonites. Yeah, you know, yeah. and we and we find out that even during this time that Samuel is ruling as judge, there is peace between Israel and the and yep. the Ammonites. Israel and the Philistines are all held off. And Samuel's doing a great job. God is working through yeah. Samuel here. And, and his his presence really is the fulfillment of that promise that God made that I will raise up a prophet like yeah. you, you know, to Moses. Uh, I will raise up a prophet like you. Uh, uh, and in uh, Deuteronomy 18, I think, um, uh, you know, and you are to listen to him and, you know, th- these various signs will authenticate his prophecy. And then you get all of that with Samuel. Yeah. So, in a sense, Samuel is is very much following in that kind of mosaic prophetic leadership tradition yeah. here. But we, we we get and again we we want to we're not going to go into chapter 8 we're going to save that to the next episode yeah. but just to foreshadow what's going to happen and this is this is one of the oh, I won't say a confusing part of the book for me but I I I I I read growing up I always read the fact 
that well, I think we get, we've got both ideas in 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 First Samuel here. Is that Samuel is saying, God, just have a relationship with God. God set up the priestly mm. order. God wants you to have a have a relationship yeah, yeah. with Him. But the people are saying, No, we need a king. We yeah. need a king. We need yeah. a king. And that's painted in one very clear direction as not good. Yeah. Samuel's grieved by it. It's not great. But then we also get the sense of in First Samuel that. This king thing is going to be great because we're going to get David out of it, and, and it, it was it was part of God's plan. It's a, it's, it's yeah, you know, foretold in, exactly. in Deuteronomy that that kings would come from you know that yeah. God would raise up kings. Yeah, and so we so it's conflicting thing. Like yeah. okay, God's purpose is here, but He's going to use this and He's going to do this yeah. and going to do that. Yeah, although the, the God's idea of kingship was very different from the Israelites' uh, idea of kingship, and that's what we'll explore in the next yeah, episode. I, but I love the fact that as as chapter 7 concludes and Samuel's got this time of peace and he sets up this thing, we are introduced to Samuel's two sons. Mm, yeah. As rulers, yeah, yeah, as the yeah. next rulers, and it's the same thing repeated yeah, with Eli again, the same thing that's happened with Moses again, and we get the sense of... His two sons are Joel and Abijah or Abijah. Yeah, Abijah. Abijah. They are corrupt, taking bribes, not good. So already we're like, yeah, this isn't going to work. This this thing that that, that we're hoping is going to work, that Samuel is arguing for, even in his lifetime, it's not going to work. So is this going to be the is this going to be the line? Is this is is this going to be a dynasty that that is going to last? We'll know because his sons. Uh, don't follow in his ways, yeah. you know. And and this is Samuel, you know. So it's like if your kids aren't following after the Lord, you know what I mean. Like it, it, that that even happens with Samuel. Yeah. You know, this is a very uh, good point, isn't it? This is a very good point. Uh, be, like at the end of the day, these these sons with Samuel as their father uh, are making their own choices. They choose not to follow the Lord, but Samuel is not indicted for that. It's not, uh, you know, this is Samuel. So. Um, that's just the way that it is uh, sometimes. Um, but the big, the big picture of this story and where we are, you know, at the end, because we we move and and in the next episode we'll explore what what's amazing next section, you know, uh, in preparation for David and the yeah. contrast uh, between you know Samuel and and Saul and yeah. and then Saul and David. It's really interesting section. But this is the setup for that. We've seen God is sovereign. Yeah. God is sovereignly working here. God has brought His people back in preparation for something. There's this building anticipation and as the anticipation builds it's like ah we're there and you get a false start before you get the true start and the false start helps to clarify what the real thing is yeah you know and that's why we get we're going to get samuel before david but all of this is uh is preempted by the people coming back to god dedicate rededicating themselves to god and that's where everything always begins Remember those four themes that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode when we look at First and Second Samuel. Uh, theme number one, the Davidic covenant, the anointed king. The second one, God is in control. The third one, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the fourth one, sin and consequences. Man, we've seen all four of those at play already 
in the first few chapters of 1 Samuel. Now, don't forget the special offer of A Praying Life, the book by Paul E. Miller. It is a bestseller and we have a special offer just for you. Highly recommended by Dr. Matthew Jacoby himself. Get across it. Get that book into your hands. We know it's going to challenge your life right now in the circumstances that you're going through, whatever they are. Well, until next time, get into that book of 1 Samuel and thrive. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrivedeeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrivedeeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production. <laughs>